0: and welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I am your extremely human, not at all sentient AI host. Flash Forward is a show about the future. Every episode we take on a specific possible or not so possible future scenario. We always start with a little field trip to the future to check out what is going on and then we teleport back to today to talk to experts about how that world that we just heard might really go down. This is the first episode of the Power mini-season, which is the last mini-season of this year. So starting this week, you will get a new episode every Tuesday for five weeks, and then the show is on a bit of a hiatus until next year while I prepare the next piping hot batch of futures for you to listen to. For now, let's go to the future. This episode, we are starting in the year 2022.
1: I feel like they've been in there a long time.
2: Yeah. It doesn't usually take them this long.
1: That's not good.
3: Who knows? Don't panic just yet.
1: We've discussed your research and are happy to extend you the title, Dr. Catherine Moore, and offer you time clearance. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Brownlow. Yes, of course. Now on to the business of time orientation. By law, it must be complete within 24 hours of your defense, and since we're all here, I figure there's no need to schedule another meeting, so let's begin. Uh, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, sure, of course, you're all very busy. We are. So, let's get this show on the road. Dr. West, please shut the door. Dr. Moore, are you allergic to any medications? No. Are you squeamish around blood? Um, not especially. Excellent. This is your personal identification tag. It's encoded with a unique encrypted code that can activate the machines. Please give me your hand. Okay. I'm going to inject this into your parlicute, just below your skin. Okay. Please lay your hand flat on the table. Are you ready? This will pinch a bit. Yes. Okay. Done. Not so bad, huh? Nope, not that bad. Good. Now before we officially connect your tag to the system, you'll need to take the oath. Please place your hand on the table. Look into this camera here. Repeat after me. I, Dr. Catherine Moore, accept the responsibility and power bestowed upon me by the Department of Transportation. I, Dr. Catherine Moore, accept the responsibility and power bestowed upon me by the Department of Transportation. To use my time access responsibly and for research purposes only. To use my time access responsibly and for research purposes only. I agree to never make any active attempts to alter either the past or the future. I agree never to make any active attempts to alter either the past or the future. I hereby bind myself to this oath under no less a penalty than that of having my left breast torn open. I hereby bind myself to this oath under no less a penalty than that of having my left breast torn open. My heart plucked out. My heart plucked out and given as a prey to the wild beasts of the field and the fowls of the air. And given as prey to the wild beasts of the field and the fowls of the air as prey? I understand that violating this agreement constitutes an international felony and could result in the death penalty. I understand that violating this agreement constitutes an international felony and could result in the death penalty? Okay, great. That's that. Last thing we have to do is the unofficial initiation. Dr. West, please turn out the lights.
0: All right, it is finally time, or maybe it was always time, because maybe time is a malleable concept. But either way, we are kicking off this mini-season with time travel. It's kind of a meta-topic, because we sort of time travel on every episode of Flash Forward. But this time, we are really going to talk about the physics, philosophy, psychology, and ethics of bouncing around in time. Now, what does this have to do with power, you may ask? Well, honestly, like everything. Time travel could be seen as a superpower. The physics of time travel would require a whole lot of power, like in the form of energy. But also, pretty much every time travel story is fundamentally a story about who has the power to shape history.
4: I somehow talked myself into doing a time travel story because... I was really interested in how history had been changing so quickly over the past several years, sort of before my eyes in real time.
0: This is Annalie Newitz, the author of a new book called The Future of Another Timeline, which is a book about time travel that also happens to be the flash forward book club book this month. How do you join the book club, you may ask? Well, all you have to do is become a patron at the $7 level. You can go to patreon.com slash flashforwardpod for more information about that. Anyway, back to the book. Now, initially, Annalie did not want to write a time travel book.
4: One of the things that made me not want to write a time travel book is that it's so easy to get caught up in plot holes because as soon as you're changing history and you have some kind of machine or system for doing that, all these questions start coming up, like, well, what happens to, you know, stock market investments? What happens to life insurance?
0: Along with being just hard, there are also a ton of tropes in time travel fiction. A butterfly flaps its wings in one place and everything is totally different elsewhere. And at first, Annalie thought they would write a book that was kind of the opposite of that.
4: I had originally thought I would write a story about people trying to change history and they wouldn't be able to. But then the
0: 2016 United States presidential election happened.
4: After Trump was elected and even before he was elected, I watched things change so rapidly uh, in the United States where I live that I just couldn't believe anymore that it was impossible to change history and that history wasn't being rewritten all the time.
0: History is being written all the time, both figuratively, as with the election of someone like Donald Trump, and literally in the way that communities like Wikipedia are constantly writing down history.
4: And that changes the way we understand ourselves. You know, the way that history is written, you know, gives us a sense of who we are. And as we see that change, we're changed. And so I wanted to kind of capture all of that stuff. And the easiest way to do it seem to be to think about time travel. So even though that was a tall order and very complex.
0: A tall order indeed. And we are going to come back to all of these ideas of power and influence and writing history. But first, we kind of have to tackle the other big reason why writing a time travel book is really hard. And that is this very pesky thing called physics.
4: I was really worried about the science. And so before I started to describe the machines in the book, I had sort of laid out the plot, but I hadn't really figured out how I wanted the machines to work. So I called Sean Carroll, who is a physicist at Caltech, and he writes a lot about space and time and cosmology. And I was like, "Okay, how do I make the world's most realistic time machine in the context of science? (laughs) And he said, you can't. There's Mm -hmm. just that's just not a thing.
0: Okay, so in your opinion, as a physicist, is time travel possible?
3: Traveling to the future is absolutely possible. It is absolutely conceivable to think of of future time travel, and there's two ways that I can describe that we could do that. Time travel to the past, that's a hard maybe. (laughs) With a probably not, but (laughs) maybe.
0: (laughs) This is Brian Mendez, an astronomer at UC Berkeley, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the definite yes and the hard maybe of time travel. But first, a quick break. OK, so Brian, our physicist here, says that time travel to the future? Totally possible. So let's start there.
3: Traveling to the future was uh, basically shown to be absolute possible by, by Einstein's uh, theory of relativity.
0: You have probably heard of Albert Einstein. And you've probably heard of his theory of relativity, but maybe you didn't know, I know I didn't know, that it actually does help explain time travel.
3: The full theory actually describes two different ways to do it.
0: The first one is to go really, really fast. So relativity says that time slows down or speeds up depending on how fast you are moving relative to something else.
3: A simple way to think of that is so let's say you're standing still on Earth, and you're watching someone in a in a rocket ship blast off toward Mars at a very fast speed, and you're monitoring their clock. And as you watch their clock, you will note that, that their clock runs slower than your clock does.
0: This is a classic sci-fi thing, where a person in a spaceship calls down to home and sees their loved ones aging faster than them because they are traveling so quickly away from the planet.
3: So... There you go. Time travel, right? (laughs) It's not a machine like, you know, HG Wells, uh, good old, you know, uh, time machine that you just step into, push a button or pull a lever. Right. And, uh, you know, step out and now you're a different time. You have to you have to get in a spaceship and you have to um, expend a whole lot of energy (laughs) in order to do it. But you can do it.
0: The second way to travel to the future is by using gravity.
3: Being next to a strong gravitational field will experience the same effect. You'll have time running slower in a strong gravitational field compared to a weak gravitational field.
0: So you can find a strong gravitational field close to a black hole, for example. That's something that's already really warping space-time with all of its gravitational power.
3: So in the movie Interstellar, they go off and they get really close to a black hole, and the space-time is very warped near a black hole, which means time runs a lot slower in the space near the black hole.
1: I met another girl, Dad. I, uh, I really think this is the one. Name's Lois, right there. Murphy still grabbed his car, she crashed it. She's okay,
4: though. Hey, Dad.
0: I'm not gonna lie. That scene makes me tear up every time I see it. Even just now, trying to find the audio to put into this episode, had a little bit of a, a little bit of a tear. <laughs> anyway, this effect is most pronounced when you're near a really strong gravitational field, but it actually also happens anytime there is any difference between the gravitational field in one place and the gravitational field in another place.
3: The surface of Earth is older than the core of the Earth, because at the core of the Earth, the gravitational field is stronger, and so time runs slower there. I think, Yes, yeah, exactly, right?
0: (laughs) This completely blew my mind. If you had someone just hanging out in the core of the Earth, which would be hard to do because it's very hot in there, but if you had someone living in the core of the Earth and another person living on Everest, they would experience time ever so slightly differently.
3: I think the fun fact, someone tried to calculate how, how much of a difference is it between the core and the surface. And I think it worked out to over the entire 4.6 billion year history of the planet, the core has experienced about two and a half fewer years than the surface has.
0: So compared to the core of the Earth, we are right now literally living in the future.
2: Futures now, old man.
0: So it is definitely possible to travel into the future either by going super fast or by getting really close to a very powerful gravitational field. But what about the classic time travel, traveling into the past?
3: The thing about backwards time travel is in order to do it, you have to either invent hypothetical materials or um, expend probably impossible amounts of energy uh, or both. To, to do it.
0: <laughs> you know, like just minor things.
3: But what the, the key thing that you're looking for is that you're looking for some kind of path through space-time that, that essentially loops. It goes back on itself and meets itself back at, at the same point in, in time and space.
0: Probably the most common way people try to explain time travel in science fiction, if they're not just inventing a magical box, is by using either black holes or wormholes. With black holes, you could technically time travel if you went into them. But it wouldn't be the way we like to imagine, you know, with people zipping around through time.
3: And the most limiting thing about being inside a black hole is the places you can go are only inside the black hole. So you go in there and you can you can make these trips around, you know, and maybe shake hands with yourself, you know, shortly after you came in. And, you know, and commiserate about the fact that you are stuck inside here for the rest of your life. But, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your uh, time traveling days inside that black hole.
0: This poses a problem for time travel physics. But there is a potential solution. And it actually comes from a guy that you've maybe heard of. Back in the 1980s, the physicist Carl Sagan was working on a fiction project with his wife, Druian, and he needed his characters to be able to move through time. So he consulted his friend, a guy named Kip Thorne, a physicist at Caltech. And Kip saw that just going into this black hole would not solve Carl's problem. But he thought that this question was interesting enough that he actually started thinking about other
3: ways to do this. So he went to work on this, and I think he had some students working on it, too. It's not clear to me who did more of the work and where the students. I mean... It's often the case that students do most of the work, right? (laughs) And they found a solution.
0: So before we get into that solution, let's just talk about wormholes for a second. So what is a wormhole?
3: Wormholes get their name um, basically as kind of a resemblance to the hole that a worm eats through an apple.
0: Okay, imagine a long piece of paper. Let's say that's the universe. Now draw a circle on one end of the paper and another circle on the other end of that paper. So when the paper is lying flat, to get from one circle to the other, you have to travel the whole length of the sheet of paper, right? And that's how we normally travel through space. But what a wormhole does is it bends spacetime. It bends that piece of paper. So now you can imagine picking up the piece of paper and folding it so that the two circles touch one another. Now you could go in one circle and out the other. And that is a wormhole. So, so far, this sounds very great, super easy. What's the catch?
3: Each mouth of the of the wormhole um, is a black hole.
0: So like imagine two black holes butt to butt, kind of like Charlie's Angels, but with weird gravity. And just like Charlie's Angels, the movie, there are some plot holes in this idea.
3: It's unstable and it will collapse and it will collapse faster than the speed of light. (laughs) So a light beam trying to travel through the tunnel wouldn't make it before the tunnel pinched off and turned the thing back into what looks more like a black hole.
0: <laughs> not great for solving this problem. But Kip Thorne was not deterred. He thought there must be a way to keep the wormhole open somehow.
3: So he started to realize, okay, only way, the only way to keep this thing open was to invent some kind of hypothetical material that has a negative pressure, something that would hold the, uh, the throat open,
0: He called this hypothetical material exotic matter, which is a great band name, but also might not exist.
3: It's completely hypothetical, right? You know, there's no reason to expect that exotic matter should be real other than the fact that we need it to make, you know, wormholes.
0: (laughs) And this is why Brian doesn't think that time travel to the past is likely, at least not for a long time.
3: It doesn't seem like nature would just make wormholes like this on its own unless this matter somehow happens to exist somewhere that and has escaped our our notice so far
0: but he won't write off time travel completely
3: scientists i think should never say never right because the universe will always surprise us um but you know i think the strongest thing you can often say is, well our with our current understandings we don't know how we would do it but um that doesn't mean that. We wouldn't we would never figure it out in the future or that some extremely, you know, advanced alien civilization might not have already stumbled onto to this kind of um, understanding of physics that would allow them to make such a thing. Although then you get to the question of, well, if time travel is possible, where are the time travelers? if time travel is a real thing why have we not ne- why are there no time travelers why don't we get visits from you know historians from the future who really want to come back to this moment in time because you know the the records are somewhat lost and they want to study the past right
0: maybe we're just not that interesting
3: <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> but
4: could <be> super downer <laughs> <laughs>
3: I or mean the the more, the more downer the more downer question it would be is well maybe that's proof that there is no future for us right <laughs> If time travel Ooh, is possible wow,
0: that is more downer uh,
3: Right right if time travel is possible <laughs> but we've never been visited by time travelers well maybe that's because we don't make it through this moment in time Ooh <laughs> yikes okay
0: so uh, the physics if we're being honest doesn't really work out but personally I'm not the kind of reader who cares that much about the specific physics and plausibility of this kind of thing. So let's just set that aside for a bit, because there's some really interesting stuff to talk about when it comes to what it might mean to influence both the past and the future. And we're going to talk about those things and how you personally can time travel wherever you are when we come back. Okay, so the physics says that time traveling is very difficult, if not impossible. But here's the thing. You actually can time travel, just not physically.
2: We're able to project ourselves back into the past and also project ourselves into the future, into experiences that we have had before or that we might have, and that it's actually associated with a particular kind of consciousness.
0: This is Donna Rose Addis, a psychologist at the University of Toronto who studies something called mental time travel. You almost certainly can actually imagine the future and imagine what something might be like. Try it right now. Okay, let's all uh, imagine that you are leaving work tomorrow. You know what that will probably look like. You can picture it. You know what the front desk person looks like. You know what the doors look like. You know what it looks like when you walk out into the street. You can actually mentally picture what it will look like tomorrow when you leave work. Or imagine what your next family gathering might be like. You can probably picture that too, right? Aunt Lucy will probably say something offensive and Uncle Joe will probably drink too much beer. You can kind of see it play out in your mind. And that is mental time travel. And studies show that when we're just kind of daydreaming, when our mind is wandering... It's actually that same part of the brain that's active.
2: So when our minds are free to wander and think about anything, we tend to spend a lot of that time actually thinking about our past and our future and perhaps also our interactions with other people. Um, And interestingly, we can not just mentally travel into the past and the future, but we can also travel into the minds of other people. Um, And that also relies on aspects of the same brain network as well.
0: Ever since this idea of mental time travel was first proposed by researchers in the 1980s, there's been an ongoing debate about whether or not this is something unique to humans. Some people have argued that it's this ability to project ourselves into the future that allowed humans to develop the kind of complex language and civilizations that make us unique as a species. But other researchers aren't so sure. And it's hard to figure out who's right because it's really hard to test whether a dog or a crow can imagine the future, since we can't really ask them. If you have been listening to this show for a while, you can probably guess what I think about this question, which is that I think we consistently underestimate what animals are capable of. It's hard for me to imagine that something so fundamental, this ability to imagine tomorrow, is unique to humans.
2: Quite often, you know, anything that's advantageous to us is advantageous to other animals as well in similar ways. And it wouldn't be surprising to, you know, to find out that they do have these abilities as well.
0: There are some super interesting studies out there trying to prove that non-human animals have this ability. And I will link to some of them in the show notes. Now, not every single person on Earth can actually do this, can actually imagine the future. Some people who have certain kinds of amnesia, they cannot time travel in their minds. They cannot imagine the future.
2: You know, one of those patients, patient KC, famously said when he was asked what he was going to be doing, you know, in the coming weekend, he, he said his mind is blank that it's just like how it is for his past. And so some people have actually described these patients as being marooned in the moment. And it's
0: not just amnesia that can impact this ability. Donna's work has shown that people with depression actually have a harder time imagining themselves in the
2: future than those without. If we were to ask somebody to think about a particular moment in, in their future to actually engage in that mental time travel... Individuals with depression are more likely to say something like, well, you know, I imagine that I'll, I'll always be lonely or I'll, I imagine that, you know, my life will be, you know, very routine. They kind of make these very general statements.
0: If you have ever experienced depression, this might ring true for you. It definitely does for me personally. It's hard when you are depressed to really see a clear path forward. Research also shows that the ability to imagine the future might actually be correlated with happiness. The better someone is able to imagine a future strategy, to figure out what steps they need to take
2: to get to an outcome, the more satisfied they are. We tend to worry less um, if we can kind of put a plan into place. So that really taps into the kind of functional aspects of being able to imagine the future, that it's very adaptive for us as a species to be able to do this. Of course, there is a flip side to this.
0: People with anxiety tend to over-imagine certain scenarios, right? Or get stuck replaying possible terrible outcomes in their head. As with any superpower, with great power comes great responsibility. But the research does suggest that there is some truth to the kind of like woo-woo idea that if we visualize the outcome
2: we want, we can get it. Shelley Taylor and her colleagues at UCLA, maybe about 20 years ago, looked at this and found that if they looked at students studying for exams, that um, those who were doing a process simulation every morning, so going through the steps that they need to achieve that goal of getting an A on their, on their exam, they actually did much better than those who did the outcome simulation, so they're just where they thought about how they would feel to have an A grade.
0: Obviously, this is not magic. If you just imagine doing well, but like don't study at all, you probably will not do well. But the idea that using this power we have to picture the future can in fact help us do better is sort of an underlying philosophy of this entire podcast. So at the top of the episode, you met Annalie Newitz, who set out to write a time travel book inspired in part by all these changes happening around the world in 2016. So the book follows two main women.
4: One is a time traveler who is on a mission to change history. She and her colleagues are in an edit war over the timeline with a group of men's rights activists who have edited women's reproductive rights out of U.S. history. So they're trying to get it put back in. It's also about another woman who is a high school student named Beth, who is stuck in time. She's in high school, she's dealing with a lot of troubles in her family, and a lot of sexism in her friend group, and she keeps crossing paths with this time traveler, and part of the book is about exploring what their relationship is, why they keep connecting, Um, and what it means to change history, both politically and personally.
0: I am not going to spoil anything for you in the book, because you should absolutely read it. But one of the things I thought was so interesting about the version of time travel posited in The Future of Another Timeline is that it actively pushes against this idea of the butterfly effect. So the butterfly effect is an idea that comes from a Ray Bradbury short story, and it's this idea that even just the flap of a butterfly's wings can change the course of history. But in Annalie's book, it's actually really hard to change the future.
4: I was really inspired by the fact that it's hard to change the present. And it didn't seem to me to make any sense at all that if you could travel back in history, that suddenly it would become incredibly easy to change the present (laughs) or incredibly easy to change history. And I wanted my characters to be having to work to make those kinds of changes. In the
0: future of another timeline, these time travelers can't just show up, shoot Hitler, and call it a day.
4: I really wanted to go toward what I thought was a more progressive approach to time travel, which is, yeah, you can change history. It's really, really hard. And when you do change it, not a lot changes. You know, you can kill someone or save someone's life, and it ultimately doesn't make that much difference. And that's because history isn't made by one person. It's not made by Napoleon or Hitler. It's made by the groups of people who are the followers and who are the supporters of these these individuals who become kind of mascots or symbols for something much larger. And so, my characters, in order to change things, they can't just shoot a guy or, you know, put an oil slick in the street that, you know, changes the course of a car or something like that. They have to organize. They have to join political groups. They have to make friends. They have to get people together to challenge the issues or challenge the um, political regime that they're trying to fight. And I wanted to
0: start this power mini season with this topic and this idea Because in many ways, this is kind of what I'm also trying to talk about on Flash Forward. This idea that changing the future is hard, but possible. That it's not just one genius guy who dictates where we're going. It's
4: really about kind of trying to have a mundane approach to history for me. Because I think a lot of times time travel stories, it's like some dude in his basement makes a wacky machine and then just wrecks havoc. And... You know, again, that's, you know, that's a very Silicon Valley idea of how history works, that you can invent a fantasy machine, and then all of a sudden, all of culture is different. And really, in history, what we've seen again and again is that things only change when a huge number of people start to change their points of view or change their behavior.
0: The future is not shaped exclusively by a lone genius inventor or a single evil dictator or even one charismatic activist. It's shaped by lots of people doing what Donna talked about and imagining the future and then actively taking steps to get us there. It often feels hard, and honestly, sometimes it feels impossible to do anything, to make change, to make things better. But it's actually not impossible. It's just really hard. And there's a really important distinction between those two things.
4: Even though you as an individual may feel powerless at a time when politics are going crazy and and you feel like you don't really as one person get to change anything, simply by being part of a social movement, you actually are changing things. It's really important. Each person is important. The social movement doesn't function if many, many people don't participate. And so for me, That's kind of the hopeful view is that we actually do matter. Maybe we don't matter as great men, but we matter as parts of our communities and our communities need us. And so that's to me, that's the real power is finding your community and finding how to make a place in that community where you can fight the power, I guess.
0: There is a quote from Octavia Butler that I love that goes like this. There is no single answer that will solve all our future problems. There's no magic bullet. Instead, there are thousands of answers, at least. You can be one of them if you choose to be. And this is what I want people who listen to Flash Forward to really think about. Not just how we got to today and where we might get to tomorrow, but how you, each one of you, can actually flex the power you do have to push us in a better direction. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Evelyn. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Husselonia. The episode art is by Matt Lubchansky. Dr. Catherine Moore is played by Tamara Krinsky, who is the host of Tomorrow's World Today, which you can stream on Amazon right now. Dr. Brownlow was played by Molly Woodstock, who is the creator and host of an amazing podcast called Gender Reveal, which you should absolutely listen to if you want help thinking about what exactly gender even is. Dr. West was played by Jim Westrich, who is a patron. Speaking of patrons, Flash Forward is mainly supported by the very, very amazing people who donate to the show. If you like this podcast and you want it to keep going, the very best way to make that happen is by becoming a patron. Even a tiny donation every episode really does help. And if you become a patron at the $10 level, like Jim, you get a chance to be a voice from the future in an upcoming episode. You can find out more about that at flashforwardpod.com slash support or patreon.com slash flashforwardpod. If financial giving is not in the cards for you, the other great way to support the show is by heading to Apple Podcasts and leaving a nice review. Like, for example, Emily MCMC, who wrote, quote, Every episode of Flash Forward is great, but the latest, Moon Court, was so great. The student debate intro is perfect, guests, as always, are well-chosen, and it builds to a generous, well-argued conclusion that has stayed with me. Excited for the next season. End quote. Thank you, Emily. Next season is here. It's now. (laughs) If you want to suggest a future I should take on, send me a note on Twitter or Facebook or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas. If you want to discuss this episode or just like the future in general with other listeners, you can join the Flash Forward Facebook group. Just search Facebook for Flash Forward Podcast and ask to join. And if you think you've spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in the episode, you can email me there too. If you are right, I will send you something cool. Okay, that's all for this future. Next week is a very, very, very special episode. So don't miss it. I'm super excited. Um, Until then, practice your mental time travel and think about how you can shape the future.